0: hey everyone we're back to the neil haley show here on the total celebrity segment i'm excited to welcome the program johnny bananas of celebrity sleepover are you kidding me the name but we have to talk pa first really now you're from pennsylvania don't tell me it's philadelphia isn't it
1: not from pennsylvania but i attended uh penn state that's my alma mater and um i'd like to think of myself as like an adopted son of Pennsylvania, because, uh, listen, Pennsylvania, the, uh, P- uh, Penn state, that's what, uh, that's where I essentially launched my, uh, television entertainment, Johnny bananas career from, from, uh, right out in front of old Maine on, uh, on the campus uh, at, at Penn state. So, oh, um,
0: no. A lot no memories
1: there, man, a lot of, I, lot of I, fond memories.
0: Oh man. You're a Penn state guy. Oh no i'm a pit pit yeah. guy through and through and oh my
1: oh boy
0: yeah yeah, yeah you got listen
1: Pitt. we we had a tough time I remember in football man we had a tough time against Pitt back, back in the day
0: yeah back in the day yeah. we had some great rivalries and we don't and uh i'm just like oh, okay so penn state guy so i'll, I'll let you go that campus yeah. so you you could really go bananas on that that campus is that how, does that, how is that how you got the name
1: Listen, man, uh, I know this is a, this is probably a, this, this is this is probably a show we can't we can't really get into the, the nuts and bolts of what went yeah. down, uh, you know, during my college years. But yeah, uh, that's not necessarily where I got the name. I actually had the nickname before I attended school there. I actually got the nickname when I moved to Long Island. I'm from California, moved to Long Island after high school, and then I transferred to Penn State while I was living on Long Island worked at the banana i worked at banana republic at the roosevelt field mall and that's actually where the nickname came from but when i went on tv i'm like i don't want to be john i gotta i gotta i gotta come up with something that's gonna like you know become a household name some people are gonna remember and that's kind of where uh, johnny bananas w- w- was born
0: really see that that's um, unbelievable yeah. you would you would think it's because of how crazy you are right or not
1: it just worked that's what but see that's the thing it it, it, it at the time, I, I like to think that I've that, that I've kind of, you know, dialed it back a bit. Uh, but at the time, it just it, it just worked. I mean, I worked at Banana Republic, but also I was, you know, I was a wild child, man. So, yeah, the banana name, it was just it, 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 it just stuck and it, and it made sense.
0: How did you get hooked up in the reality world? As you said, from your videos at Penn State.
1: Yeah, like any other college kid. I mean, back in the day, I mean, I I, I attended. Uh, I was at Penn State from 2000 to 2005. Um, and back in the back in those days, I mean, you know, reality television was in its was it was in its heyday. You know what I mean? That's when I mean we were besides the real world, uh, the challenge and like Survivor right. and Big Brother were the only games in town. It's not like it is today. And um, so you know, reality TV and, and the real world was a staple of 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 any. You know, college kids' uh, daily schedule. Um, and I just got into watching it there. And I was like, wait a minute. So these guys get notoriety and they get famous for yeah. partying, yeah. hanging out, and stirring the pot. I'm like, I do that on a daily basis, anyways. Might as well get some recognition for it. So I sent in my audition tape, like I said, and the rest was history.
0: See, the real world. And just thinking about the real world, it started all of reality television. I think
1: that's where it all began. What, what real world were, were you? What season? I was season 17. I was I was in uh, Key West, Florida. And then uh, after after my original season, I spent 15 years doing reality TV. I've done I did 20 seasons of the challenge. Um, I just won the the last one that I was on. And after that, I figured I was like, yo, let me take this amazing platform, this brand that I've created and uh, parlay that uh, into another field. And, um, you know. Travel hosting was 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 my first stop along the way, and now uh, late night hosting is uh, is 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 where I've landed.
0: Wow! So so let's talk about Celebrity Sleepover then, because again, you're interviewing some interesting people, but really bringing back a lot of your reality roots in certain ways too.
1: Exactly. I mean, like you like you mentioned before, I was on I was on the Real World, right? Yeah. Uh, The seventeenth season, the Real World is basically what started reality television. Uh, you know, back back in the early 90s. Well, it just so happens we've come full circle and I just had three of the original members of the real world New York, uh, Eric Neese, Heather B and Julie on Celebrity Sleepover. So it's, and, and that was like, for me for a guy that's been on the show and for a guy who's who grew up watching reality TV and and you know they're icons man they're pioneers totally, in, in, yeah. in in reality television so being able to have them on and being able to like almost like nerd out with them and and just talk reality and and just kind of talk to the people who started it all it was a really cool experience and it, and it was great for me as not just uh, a part of the family, I guess you'd say, but as a fan to be able to pick their brains and just a, a, and have them on, you know, and uh, give them that platform. And um, right. it's just been a really cool experience being all the way around.
0: You know, see, that's interesting when you talk about specifically interviewing people you grew up watching, like all of us watched yeah. the first real world, New York. I mean, bottom yeah. line, if you're at a certain age, you watched it and you were blown away by that experience, by how it ever changed us watching television. It really did. Like, really, this is real. This is really happening. You know, and now with the reality television, how it's grown and now they have executive producers and producers and writers and uh, production companies. If everyone would have known to grab on that gravy chain from the real world. Wow. And it it was it was also a, a change in MTV, too. So I'm sure I, yeah. did, I can't wait to tune into that interview. And what did you learn in these yeah, interviews? I mean, yeah, for sure. Because you've said you've hosted different things. You've been in all these parts. What's the difference of interviewing in this kind of a format compared to what you've been doing in
1: your career? It's it, it, I thought going into hosting and I thought, but you know, doing the late night uh, hosting, I thought, listen, I've. I know how to, I know how to act in front of the camera. Like I've created this persona over the last 15 years. Well, what unbeknownst to me, basically everything that I'd learned how to do on reality TV and on the challenge, I had to kind of unlearn and I had to do the exact opposite. Reality TV, the challenge, the real world, that's all about being the the biggest, the the, the biggest person in the room. You know what I mean? Being the most over the top, colorful in your face, tongue in cheek, sarcastic uh, person in the room, absorb all the oxygen, you know what I mean, Do all the talking. Uh, hosting is the exact opposite. Hosting is about being just playing second fiddle to, to, to whoever you have on, you know what I mean, being the supporting role. listening, I've never been a good listener, man. like I, when I tell you like <laughs> the amount of effort it took for me doing especially these first interviews, to sit there and like not just hear what they're saying, but actually listen to what they're saying and kind of take what they're saying and then formulate some kind of like follow-up question in my head that was actually kind of like somewhat intelligent sounding or witty or whatever. Dude, after the shoots, man, I was like exhausted. Like I was just like shot mentally because it takes a, a, a lot of energy. And But I really do think, and, and, and I love what I've been able to do uh, because I really do think that it's made me a more complete uh, t- television uh, persona, you know, if, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I feel like I have more, I feel like before yeah. I was a hammer and everything I saw was nails. Now I feel like I have more tools in my tool belt and don't get me wrong. The Johnny bananas that you know, and love from the challenge is still very much yes. alive and well, but, but it's just more of like a more like buttoned lay back, Lay thing
0: back and hand hand let down. the other people go bananas with you. All right. So everyone could check yeah. out celebrity sleepover all over the place, right? It's in a, a different NBC channels all over the country, all over the U S correct. It's like different times. Yep. It's in, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. It 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 uh it, it check your local listings, but it comes on after SNL. Um, if you can't if you if you can't find it there, if you don't see it there, you can uh, stream it on the Peacock app. Um, search First Look because that's we're presented by First Look, or you can find it um on our YouTube channel as well
0: excellent man i appreciate you taking the time with me but again i really think you're on the right track as a talk show host someday we'll see you on late night right this is the start of late night right one day a week this this is
1: like late this is like late late night so maybe maybe, 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 hopefully we're going to get a little earlier
0: you're going to get there no you just you're going to definitely get there and and just keep up the great work and i appreciate you coming by and uh we'll definitely connect sometime when especially if you're in pa appreciate
1: Appreciate appreciate you having me, man. I'll take you to Pomani Brothers.
0: All right, take care, man. All right, see ya. All right, see ya. All right. You're listening to the Neil Haley show and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Neil Haley here. LenSec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop Enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise level video management software Perspective VMS is a browser based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5. We're back to Neil Haley's show here on the Authors' Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome to the program Andrea Wang and Jason Chin, of the book Watercress. Guys, how are you doing? Thanks for coming by.
2: Oh, very well. Thank Hi, you
0: man. for having us. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let's talk about first of all. Did you, um, Andrea? Did you always think you were going to be a children's book author? Was that a dream of yours growing up?
3: It was, it was. I actually have um, a handwritten author's bio in a book I made in, in third grade when I was nine that said I wanted to be a writer when I grew up. Um, I stepped away from it for a time, but I'm so happy that I am now living out my dream.
0: See, I never, that's a, that's a first, really. A lot of people don't dream about becoming writers. You did, and an author, and especially a children's book author. So it really must be something that you feel very strong about as uh, in the, being in this genre and writing so many children's books. Would you agree?
3: I would agree, yeah. I often tell students when I go on school visits that books were my first friends because I was a very shy child. And, you know, from there I started writing my own story. And I really think that it's important uh, for children to see themselves represented in the books that they read.
0: Absolutely. They have to see themselves in those books. And it's so awesome in that way, Andrea, when you get to do that that visit to a school before COVID. Now, at least we're getting back to normal, a semi-normal, but that experience of doing that reading. Tell us, your, when your first book came out, how awesome it was uh, to do a reading in front of kids with some of the books you've read. Oh,
3: awesome and terrifying at the same time, but mostly awesome. I never dreamed I would be talking to, you know, 200 kids in front of me at a school assembly. But the energy that they have and the love that they have for books um, and seeing their connections to the themes in the books in real life, there's really nothing else quite like it. And I'm really looking forward to when, you know, I can get back out there and talk about watercress to students in real life.
0: Well, that's kind of funny with me as I've been on Clubhouse and now also another platform as well where I'm getting to speak more and more, even though I'm used to the radio thing. Now, I feel like I'm interacting with people now thanks to platforms like Clubhouse. And I'm saying I cannot wait to get out and speak. I mean, that's that when we get back to normal and we could go back and speak in front of audiences. I just can't wait because it's just going to be a lot of fun now. So, Andrea, tell us about Watercrest and how you hooked up with Jason for the illustration.
3: Sure. Um, watercress is a semi autobiographical story of a young girl whose Chinese immigrant parents make her pick watercress by the side of the road. Um, they're driving along, they spot it, and the whole family has to get out and gather it. And she's really embarrassed until her mother shares, you know, a very poignant story of her own childhood growing up during the famine in China. And so, seeing her mother's relationship to food changes the girl's shame um, into sort of an understanding and appreciation of her heritage. And, you know, I wrote the text over many years. It sat in a drawer for many years until I really figured out the ending and the heart of the story. And um, once it was acquired by our editor, that's when Jason came on board to do the illustrations and you know, I was so excited because working with Jason and working with our editor, Neil Porter has been, you know, on my bucket list as an author. So,
0: um,
3: <laughs> so, so, so why there. is it, why
0: is it, why is, why are you on her bucket list for illustration, Jason? Tell us some <laughs> well, of the stuff you've done. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: I don't I don't want to speak for Andrea on that one, but, uh, you know, I've been illustrating books for, for uh, about, oh geez, almost 20 years now. And, um, you know, some of them are, are well-known. One of them, uh, received a Caldegat honor. So that was uh, probably the most well-known book. Um, but when I received Watercrest, I received the manuscript from our editor, uh, deal. And, um, when I read it, I was just, uh, blown away. It was so emotionally resonant and, um, just gracefully written and, and poignant and, um, You know, I knew it was something that I uh, needed to illustrate, right? But I was also very nervous because it's such a personal story to Andrea. So um, I was thankful that our editor introduced us, and I was able to talk to her and get to know her a little bit before embarking on illustrating uh, her words. Um, And after sharing some stories, and she shared family pictures with me, I felt much more comfortable taking on the project um, and, and taking on the responsibility of uh, telling her story uh, in the pictures. So that's, that's how it began uh, for me.
0: It's interesting to listen to this. And this is why I talked about, I wanted to educate people before we even started this interview about that author relationship with the illustrator in a way, Andrea. So you've never done any of your illustrations of any of your children's books before this book is that correct oh
3: no and you would not want to see
0: me try so so how do you kind of typically
2: the author and illustrator don't meet um, true so
0: it's more I mean like the connectivity of just the fact of seeing the vision that's the job of an illustrator to see the vision of what Andrea wants I see this all the time when I work with clients building websites and I can't create the website at all but as an architect I have to hear what my client's vision is and then portray it to what we like the illustrator uh, Jason and say, this is what I want it to look like. And the same thing for Andrea, you can't draw those uh, beautiful illustrations, but you can picture what you want. Right, Andrea?
3: Well, kind of, I honestly, when I wrote this final text, I did not think it could be a picture book. It's not like your typical picture book where, you know, the protagonist encounters a series of obstacles and overcomes them. It's uh, much more interior and emotional and, um, you know, uh, there's all these layers of memory. And I had absolutely no idea how an illustrator would, you know, deal with that and so you know when jason came on board i was like oh good i can just you know trust him completely and <laughs>
0: wow <laughs> and jason you you must be a rock worry. star of an illustrator trust him completely
2: when my editor brings me a manuscript he always takes out any art notes that the author has put in um because he wants to give uh, me and all of artist artists that he works with, he does this work. Um, he wants to give the artist um, uh, a, a clean slate and the ability to interpret it as they uh, choose. Um, and in that way, give the artist the ability to take ownership over the project. Um, and, and so um, I think for that reason, it, it is rare that the author and illustrator meet. I, I'm very thankful that we did meet. Um, because I was able to go back to Andrea and say, you know, does this look right to you? Um, What kind of food, what kind of other food would be on the table? Exactly. Exactly. Um, And and those kinds of questions uh, is great. Yeah. It's great to work with Andrea that way.
0: So Jason, it's very interesting that not, I guess we didn't know how important the illustrator is in a book and sometimes that's missing, right? Do you have to, when you have conversations with people and discussions of what you do, how they really kind of, sometimes look at you as a you're just part of it but you're really an important part of it that sometimes people forget i think in a, a ways of especially if we're talking illustrations and the importance of the art involved in the book to make it a success so people want to turn the pages and not just look at the how how creative the author of telling the story the illustrator tells a, a, a big part of the story as well
2: yeah and 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 the wonderful thing about picture books is that, um, both the text and the art are, are extremely important. Um, in in fact, without the pictures, the text wouldn't be whole or the story wouldn't be whole. And without the words, the the picture story wouldn't be whole. It's when you bring them together that the whole becomes uh, greater than the sum of its parts. And that's, to me, that's the magic of picture books. And I think, um, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of Watercrest because of that because of the way everything came together. Um I think it's you know my pictures are better because of Andrea's words.
0: I love how the see this is the first time Andrea and I've done I don't even know how many interviews. Uh I mean I've had done of 7,000 type interviews but I mean with Authors to ever have the illustrator On with the author it's just very Very interesting and educational for Me and I'm sure also for the listeners out there And uh, is this one reason why Andrea you're doing the tour with Jason together Uh,
3: Yeah I think that you know In picture books the art And the text each one You know takes up 50% Of you know the conveying The story and my words certainly would not be able to convey all of the emotion without Jason's um, artwork that shows the expressions on the character's faces. And it's, you know, with the pictures, it's so much easier, I think, for a reader to pick it up and to understand um, this emotional journey that of the, the girl and the mom in the book. And so, yeah, I mean, this, chore um this book it would not it would not be the same <laughs> if, if we had not been paired together for it
2: i think this is, especially for a young reader yeah, to, mm-hmm. to have the pictures to help them interpret uh, the emotion in the language um i think it's um
0: uh, anyways. <laughs> well it's very powerful both of you guys no doubt i mean for sure and i uh, and uh, th- other things we want to see in the story is basically really understanding how people grew up, right? How, how even the, ch- the children end up in a specific situation of their heritage, heritage it's forgotten in a lot of ways, Andrea, right? Where, how hard, uh, our ancestors have grown up going through very challenging times to get to where we are today and the type of life we're living. And that tells a story to children in so many ways, doesn't it?
3: It does. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, so much history ha- isn't being told told or taught in the schools. And so it's really falling to parents and families to share that history um, that's sort of been hidden and for, you know, for their children to see them as people and to appreciate, you know, where they came from, no matter, you know, their ethnicity, we all came from somewhere. And so, um, I think knowing their family history really helps a child uh, feel more connected to a place and a time.
0: And so you don't forget your heritage as well, books like this. So you exactly. you should definitely, yeah. Be, yeah, you definitely should be commended for sure for the book, Andrea and Jason with the great illustrations. Andrea, where can we pick up the book? Where's the best place? Uh, definitely independent bookstores, but also we can get it on Amazon, right?
3: You can pick it up, Um, yes, at your local indies and your favorite online retailer. It's available wherever books are sold.
0: Well, fabulous. I I appreciate you guys uh, stopping by and uh, best of luck with the book and uh, very interesting conversation. I will think of the illustrator much more differently now, Jason, after interviewing you guys to really look at children's (laughs) books and say, oh, I wonder how they work together. And Jason, man, he's the rock star that, hey, he can come up with a creative, Get give him the manuscript and he could take care of it. So I appreciate it, guys, for you guys Absolutely. both coming on, coming on. And that'll be a good sell for you, Jason, uh, to teach others. I know, Andrea, you're a teacher. Uh, are, are, Jason, are you a teacher as well? Do you teach illustration uh, to others?
2: Not, uh, hmm. I, I don't. I don't teach. Um, I, you know, I go to a lot of school visits and talk to kids about books and, and illustration and hopefully um,
3: uh, help them along, but. Uh, and just not, to clarify, be the same. I'm not a formal teacher either. I'm, oh, you're not, I'm you don't oh, So, you, <laughs> uh, you,
0: but you should be teaching the way you know your knowledge, Andrea. You should be teaching in, in colleges and universities. This, I think, for sure. Oh, just thank a, you. Very, very good knowledge. All right. Well, all right, guys, thanks for uh, stopping by. Take care, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank, thank
3: you, you, you so
0: much. All right, take care. All right, see ya. All right, bye bye. You're listening see to you the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
3: What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more.
4: Download Celebrity Slots today.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to... The Neil Haley Show, and we're doing again the Searching for Integrity segment. We excited to welcome the program, John Smith. John, what's going on? It's a it's a Friday. It's a good Friday for me.
4: I'm uh, we we sold the house. We're getting ready to move. Oh, congrats. I didn't even know
0: you were in that process. Well, it's we got
4: I had a strategy four years ago and it paid out just right. I wanted to sell the house at the top dollar,
0: and we pretty much got that. Before the uh, rates go up, it's the perfect timing because you're going to get the most bang for your buck and could get, and then the most profit compared to what it could be a year from now. Could exactly. Call. Exactly. Well, you made the right call compared to the call of working for that one company. But let's just jump right back into the whole book thing. You really? talk, we didn't, we're going to talk more about the book now. We just talked about the writing of the process of the book. What it was about, but let's kind of go chapter by chapter in a way, or at least discussing certain things about the book. And if you don't want to, we could do that next time. But I'll just—I threw you off guard. We could talk about the podcast today instead, if you want to do that, and then we'll jump into the chapters of the book next week. I think that'd be best.
4: That's that's up to you. Uh, nice. Let's
0: just go to the let's go to the po- podcast, and then we'll go into chapters of the book, and we can start outlining certain parts of the chapters of the book. But people need to go to to again, embracingtheabyss.com for the book. But let's go to the podcast. Now, your journey in this podcast has really taken you on a journey when you started it. And I'm excited to be part of this, working with you hand by hand, because I'm learning more and more the monetization strategies of podcasting that are not told, the secrets are not told unless you get in the, an exclusive club. And I've learned in that exclusive club, just to find out, I've always learned how to monetize my pod, my radio show. Right. but it's been in a, in a different way even though it's one of the strategies so but let's talk about the journey of this podcast it's almost been a year long right almost a year coming up on a year it was uh, it was may uh a year ago when i um uh,
4: basically my first uh interview was with a guy named of uh, bob uh bob giles bob yeah bob giles and he was the uh um pulitzer Pulitzer prize winner for his work on the Kent state shootings. That was a 50 year anniversary. Wow. And,
0: and your journey in this podcast has taught you a lot of all the different guests. You interview two guests a week. So you've almost done almost hundred plus guests in, in a whole entire year. I'm going to ask certain questions about the podcast in a way and where we're going with it. What have you learned most from your guests so far?
4: Well, I've learned that uh, people are really excited when they feel like they can be on a show called Searching for Integrity. I mean, they just, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to be associated some way, somehow with integrity. And everybody is feeling feels the same way about that. And and they're very, they're very thankful. They're very grateful uh, to be able to be on a show like, like mine, uh, because I've, Oh, I don't know. I, I have a different kind of a uh, uh, speed, I guess you could say, in terms of what I ask and how I ask it, and, and allow them to, you know, reply without rushing them. I don't do I don't do politics. I don't do uh, uh, you know things like that 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 bother people. I I, I uh, make it as, as as easy as I can, as conversational as I can. And, and thus far, everybody's been really excited. And at the end, I always chat with the people at the end when it's over with. And every one of them always says, this was really good. I had a really good time. It was such, such well done. You've got a, an easy way of asking questions and your comments and so forth. So it's, it's been good. I fell into something I didn't, I thought I could do it and now I'm doing it. So I'm real happy about that.
0: Let's see, that's great. And I think that that's the thing you talk about integrity. Everyone wants to be part of integrity. And what do you learn from their stories that they do bring up integrity, even though you you point, you create the questions to see if they're really people of integrity, the guests that you bring on. And I'm sure you're, you vet them too, to make sure that they don't seem like they have a good story. They pretty much probably don't have integrity but you kind of create questions that really lead into the type of integrity these people have.
4: Well, yes. And uh, I'll, I'll take, for instance, their list of questions. A lot of them provide that just in terms of not knowing who they're going to be interviewed by, but they'll give me a list of, of their questions. And I basically am going to say, yeah, I know these people have put this down because they want to ask these questions, but I've, I've taken each one a step further is what I've done. Um, as an example, if they say, well, I here, I decided to do this because, and then I look at that and, and don't ask that, but what I do is what follows the because. Um, and and they all, it's, oh, they say, good, I hadn't thought about that. So they're all ready to empty their Empty their soul, if you will, their heart. They they're really really excited, and and we chat afterwards. Tell them no, don't hang up because we're still on the line, and uh, it's 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 been a good thing. I didn't realize how it was going to morph into what it is now, but but you're right. You know you've got some things that uh, we need to get on uh, to in order to um, you know make it make it happen on a larger scale. They asked me, what about the, who, what's your audience like? And I, I tell them, I really don't have any demographics, but I do get numbers from my, from my broadcaster. And my broadcaster says, I'm getting 400,000 listeners per month. And everybody goes, wow, 400,000, where do those come from? I said, I'm not sure, but that's what the paper says. That's what the, the schedule says. And consistently it's been 400,000 a month
0: for four shows. That's amazing. That's fantastic. And that's the exciting part of being part of something so special as, as the, as having a show and getting those people, but those people just see the the power of integrity and in everything that they do. And they, they understand that. Do you give, come up with some of your story, tell your story a bit when the, the guests are bringing it and you see oh, certain sure. parallels? Oh, sure. Absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll, I, I do that. Uh, I think, in a way, that the the people, the way they view it, is if I've if I've chosen them to be interviewed, then that to them tells them that since I have a show called Searching for Integrity, that means that I have integrity. If John Smith calls me and says he wants an interview, then I've got integrity, and it just it just blossoms, you know, it just it blooms. It it. Uh, the, the 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 interaction between me and them is is real close i mean th- these are all my friends now you know we we're, we're trading emails now even after a, a long time
0: that's great and that's and see that's, that's the relationship that you get from podcasting and getting to interview somebody and really breaking down their soul and learning about them it's just that relationship definitely comes in because you're like, wow! I really enjoyed your story. I really get to know who you are,
4: right.
0: and, uh, and I'm sure out of all these interviews, you don't have, you talked about the first one, but you have a lot of favorites, right? Uh, what were the major, biggest surprise guests? You would say surprise that you were really surprised about when you were interviewing that person that you had all the questions set up and you just didn't expect them to say something like that.
4: Uh, it was the first one. It was uh, the Bob Giles, um, as I said, he was the Pulitzer Prize winner on the Kent State shootings. And as we went along and I, I asked him about the, the various uh, um, alumni that always, they gather in huge numbers and, and auditoriums to go back over the, what happened and how it happened and so forth. And I asked him, well, why is it that nobody's figured out what, what the cause was? He said, it's still an it's still un- unknown, is what he said. And then it just, it just hit me. I mean, like a ton of bricks between the ears. It hit me. And I said, you know, Bob, I said, I think that, well, let me tell you, Bob, I'm a, I'm a former general sergeant in the Army. After, yeah, I was even the the the, the honor of my drill sergeant class, and I know that when I trained soldiers, that they were trained well. And if you're in the military, you need a command to be able to act. And what they didn't have is someone that called a command, and that someone wow. in someone in the National Guard basically took their their own. Um, Whatever, and somebody sh- somebody let their their, pit, their 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 rifle go off, and then somebody else shot, and then somebody else shot, and then all of a sudden all these people are dead. And and I said to him that, that they had, had poor training because why because these are the people that are called the weekend warriors, these are the people that were in the National Guard, right? So they were trying to avoid going to Vietnam, you know. So that's what it was all about. They didn't have the discipline and the training that they needed. Right. And after I finished describing that, Bob said, he paused and he said, you know, John, I, I haven't thought about that. And so the next, alum, uh, next meeting where the alumni come up, maybe, uh, maybe I'll get a pitch on that and, and describe to them what I've just described now of what happened. Somebody freaked out. And then the rest of them freaked out without,
0: because of the lack of training. It's, it's amazing. You talk about that. So the lack of training. So let's jump into, I guess what your goals are after this whole year's uh, podcasting, where do you want to see it go next? Where, where with your show going podcast, this radio going next, next year.
4: Well, I'd like for it to uh, include the, the the new books that I've been talking to you about, uh, I want to probably uh, consider uh, consider the uh, the aspect of uh, it becoming a vodcast. Is that the name for it? Is that like you're doing here with me? It's a vodcast. And- yeah, video
0: Video cast. Yes, yes.
4: Yeah, video cast. Um, I think that at some point we're going to roll into that. But sometimes when I talk to people about that, they ask me, do I do I have to dress up? And I said, no, you can still you can still sit in your pajamas and I'll interview
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone's going video. And the reason is, and we've seen, uh, just depending if it's television, if it's television versus YouTube and how YouTube for podcasters is not always the best place, but it is what it is, you know, but it's exciting always to be face to face, but look in that little camera, is always the fun part because we 're not really looking at each other's eyes we're looking because right. that 's how we have to look into the camera, but when the video comes out, it looks like each other are looking in their eye at, at each other 's eyes it's really very uh, a strange component of the camera experience and that so you're looking at a vlog and also do you have a goal of uh, uh, next year guest wise any wish guests you'd like to talk to? Oh boy, um, you know I really hadn't thought about
4: that. Uh, uh, I, I I enjoy the level that I'm doing and, and using, but I would assume that people guests that that have a reputation and are known well known, you know, people are probably going to listen to the show if there is some 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 pre advertising involved. So and so is going to be, you know, if if if, if this was uh 40 years ago I'd, I'd be trying to to interview someone like uh mickey mantle you know that's that's what i'd be doing
0: okay so mickey mantle not available sorry to tell you that's
4: right he's not available he is not but i got a baseball with his name on it he's right.
0: <laughs> so what you got to we got to do is people need to definitely go to your podcast and the best radio show and it's available at AMF two amfm247.com Also, you can check it out on SoundCloud and it's on uh, different platforms and iTunes and all that stuff. But if you want to get to the individual interviews and kind of dive deep, you just go to uh, soundcloud.com and search searching for integrity. You'll find all the podcasts up there as well and at searchingforintegrity.com. So a bunch of different places, John, uh, excited. Everyone needs to catch up on those interviews because again, they're such great stories because you ask such great questions. You really get to learn what makes these people tick and all that stuff and that's fantastic.
4: And and after after 20 to 30 minutes we're instant friends. Uh, there's, there's not been not a one of them that
0: I can't call a friend now. Exactly. Well, I appreciate it John. Uh, best place again to connect with you is searching for com or embracingthebiss.com, correct? That's right. All right, John. Appreciate it, man. And your book you. Embracing the Best is available on all finder bookstores especially amazon correct that's right all right thanks again john appreciate it thank you neil all right bye-bye that again Bye. that was the searching for integrity segment take care guys we're back to the neil Haley show and i'm excited to welcome program andrew shacken andrew the middle class do you think it's disappeared
5: I can't say because first of all, for some people, I don't want to make the mistake, Neil, that the middle class is defined as Caucasian. No, that, that is a mistake. And if, you, if you're going to define middle class with the term Caucasian, you're, you're making a mistake. But I do think when I was a person living in, in, the, in this area, I was a kid, uh, my neighbors were a taxi driver who had two kids and a non-working wife. My neighbor was a plumber. Uh, one person was a carpenter. These were not wealthy people, and yet at that time, uh, they, were, they, were, they were the middle class. Uh, and um, my father, he worked in, as a lawyer in the city of New York, and he didn't make much money. But he was a member of the middle class. So uh, what's going on? That the people that were part of the middle class are no longer law- do you believe a taxi driver can own a house or have a work working more kids?
0: No, they not can own happen. a house. A taxi cab driver can own a house, but very not the greatest house.
5: But he's not. Good. You think he can own a house? Yes. But taxi drivers make nothing.
0: Some of them, unless they own their own cab.
5: But if they own their own business in a day, and yes, they can do pretty well. But most of them do not make a lot of money. Correct. They don't. So are they able to have a wife who doesn't work and two kids at home and own no a house? I don't think so.
0: No. But what do you do then,
5: Andrew? What do we do? We we have to try to explain why this has happened. Uh, one, first of all, uh, I think we have to understand the his history, historical developments in this country. Before 1930, I'm a fan of Franklin Roosevelt. Even though I'm a Republican, right. I respect and like Delano Roosevelt. Okay. I think he, he, he put in some reforms that were necessary and good, like unemployment insurance, like uh, uh, and a form of help for people who are out of work. He did some good things, and they were necessary, don't you think? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I, I, I admire him and like him, but American society before him, I think, historically, was a society of mostly poor people and a few rich, and that's really what's going on today, isn't it, Neil? It definitely is. It's it's something definitely going on today. Yes. Do Do you think our society is largely poor?
0: Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I I think
5: so. Po- definitely, portion of it. A portion of it, a large portion. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, and there are re- there are reasons for this. Uh, uh, American workers during franco Delano era in the 30s were able to form unions. Unions were very opposed by management. They probably killed some people in the the 1900s, 1920s. They did, Uh, they were very opposed. And I think unions are good. And I think that's one reason that middle class developed because unions brought a working wage to the American worker. I think unions are good, I believe in them, I believe in collective bargaining, okay? Even though I'm a conservative, I see the necessity for it. Uh, the second thing is reason, that's one reason, the disappearance of unions. Now they are gone, right? They're not, they're not around that much anymore. Exactly.
0: They? They're not more, no. So um, so, so, you think unions, they are unions of certain things. So why, how do you fix that? How do you fix the middle I class while still you. not got increasing got taxes not. and let the economy get out?
5: Okay, under Reagan, the, the air controllers were cast out. And that was the first move on the part of our society, and of Republicans to get rid of unions, and they have, right, partially. right. And I, but I think unions are good. I think they bring people into the middle class. They enable American workers to earn a living.
0: Okay, but they're so okay. So you're pro union.
5: I'm pro union. I see the necessity. I, I'm not entirely pro union. They have some faults but they did bring people into the middle class. And now those unions have been demolished. And that's why a lot of people aren't in the middle class anymore. Right. I don't think so. That's one reason. The second reason is outsourcing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of companies have outsourced workers to foreign countries. Why? It's cheap labor, right? Right. So that's another reason why, and those people by outsourcing, the American worker can't get an effective job in the kind of things that they formally did. So the result is that um, uh, American workers struggle; they're not members right. of middle class anymore. Middle class no. has disappeared. So, so what do you do?
0: What do you do, Andrew? Then, how do you fix it?
5: I don't. I don't have the answer. I do know one thing that we have got to to move our society forward with the formation of unions. Uh, I think it was bad that they were gotten rid of under Reagan. I think people need people to enter the middle-class, Franklin Roosevelt allowed the establishment of the Institute and he brought about the establishment of the middle class. And I don't think before the thirties and the twenties and before that there was a middle class. I don't think so. You really have to be a historian, really get a handle on this. But I think it was a very, very tough system prior to that. Yes, I think definitely. most people were poor. They didn't so have anything. Right. I had no rights.
0: So that you don't know any way to fix it, Andrew, but yet you wanted
5: to. I, I think that we, I can't, I think we have got a society moved to establish unions. and I think it's bad outsourcing labor to put American workers out of work with cheap labor in other countries. In addition, allowing the Democratic Party, and I'm not happy with this, allowing illegal people to come here and get work. It puts outsourcing and that action puts American workers out of work. And therefore they the middle class is gone to zero. That's the reason. You're living in a global society now. We're living or not. We live in a country where people need jobs. I mean, we can't allow a system to exact that puts our American citizens out of work.
2: Sorry, exactly. I don't agree with it. So the, well, but but, but, but so, so, so you're, you're not allowed
0: you're not going to allow job
5: outsourcing anymore, Andrew. I, if I could prevent it, I would stop it because it is a way of getting very cheap labor in 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 countries that I'll, I have no union. You'll decrease
0: the taxes of the businesses so they don't have to go ahead and outsource for cheap labor.
5: Maybe maybe you're making a valid point. I, I don't I don't know it exact so but the, and thus far, uh, we have ha- we a system has been established of cheap labor being brought in illegally into the country. Uh, And the result, those people, I guess they need jobs, but uh, I think they should get here and get them come here legally to get them. Uh, But I I think that um, illegal immigrants put American workers out of work because of their cheap labor and cheap benefits. And by outsourcing to foreign countries again with cheap labor and cheap benefits, American workers are put out of work. The result, I'm giving the reasons. The result, no middle class. Okay. American workers cannot get work. The only kind of work people can get today largely is per diem work, maybe two jobs of some kind, low-paying jobs. That's the system now.
0: Okay, so shatkinshow.com for more information. Appreciate it, Andrew. Take care, man, and we'll talk soon. Okay, I'm Republican,
5: but I also try to be fair. All right, you're listening to Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.